neighbors would jump in. Lord, you're good and you are so very, very kind. And uh, ask that, that you would speak your truth deeply and clearly to us so that we could be like sheep who hear the voice of the shepherd and to not, not turn away from that, not to, to run from it, but to draw near you. Um, beg your grace for us right now. Apart from you, we really can do nothing. And um, thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, I'm asking these things. Amen. All right. What does it mean to be a part of Christ's church? We're walking through this list of spiritual disciplines. Uh, for us, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, and if you're going to be a, a member of this church and commit to this church, this is what we expect. We expect that you will care for the unprotected. You'll be a defender protector. We expect that you'll engage in confession and repentance. Okay. Now that has, you hear the word confession, like, uh-oh, this is not a Jerry Springer show. I realize I just threw a name out that, that, that the young folk won't appreciate. It's not some crazy tell-all. That's not what it is. Um, but it does mean, you ready? That we move away from hypocrisy and we move toward what it means to be authentic, genuine followers of Jesus and not folk just play in church and all that kind of stuff. Evangelism, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus at Christ Church. Faith, fasting. Uh, fasting takes many forms. Uh, it can include foods. It can include TV. Uh, <laughs> Dare I say the one thing we probably need to work on fasting from above all things is our cell phones. It's like an, it's like a, a new appendage. It's like the new thing that's attached to our bodies, you know. In fact, have, have you noticed this? That some of us are experiencing this psychological phenomenon that you got you get a vibration in your hip or your pocket or something, and you think your cell phone's vibrating, and you're smiling. You know what I'm talking about. And it's not even on you, and yet you think your phone is ringing. I'm telling you that the depth of connection with our phones is fascinating. So fellowship, you know, I've said this for years and years. We need each other. I need you. I want you to hear, I want you to hear this from me. I need you. I need you in my life. When you're here, I'm encouraged. I need you to check on me. Patch, you're one of the only people that consistently sends me scripture. Thank you. I need that. When you send a scripture to me, you're, you're speaking truth into my life. This is fellowship. We own our corporate ownership of growing up in Christ. All right, I need you. Um, forgiveness. We, we looked last Sunday at our bodies are not wired to sustain an, an unforgiving, bitter spirit. The stress hormones that are dumping in our system when we're bitter are aging us and killing us. We suffer from inflammation, all kinds of immune, autoimmune problems. It goes on and on and on because we have not learned to forgive. We, we at Christ Church are generous with money. We're generous with possessions, skills, time, service, gracious and suffering, which we're going to focus on today. We've already looked at love and mercy and how that integrates with forgiveness, prayer, purity, scripture, silence. 
There's a time to be quiet. You know. In fact, Proverbs says, and I'm quoting from the very old translation, a fool utters all his mind. They just babble on. And they'll say 20,000 words when five would be sufficient. They just babble on. No. There's a time to stop for the fool. And the wise man, it says, knows how to close his mouth. There's a time to be silent. And then the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, I'm excited about that one. That's going to be great. So, all right. I want to dig into gracious suffering. Gracious suffering, I intentionally use the word gracious in the sense that it is filled with God's grace because that really is the only way we handle it well when we encounter suffering. So it's about grace, all right? A kind of gracious suffering or learning to suffer in the grace of God. So, all right, I want you to get a quick uh, visual of this. Do you see in the upper, uh, uh, upper half, right side, Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus, do you see that? All right, these are the primary regions that's not a town. Cappadocia is not a town. It's a region um, like North America, South America. This, it's a big regional idea. These are the churches that Peter is writing to. He's writing to churches in a huge area. That would be like, I'm going to write a letter to the churches in, of, of the Northwest United States or the Eastern Seaboard. All right. It's a huge area. Uh, all based on uh, his writing in First and Second Peter. Now check this out. I'm doing a bit of an overlay. This is modern day Turkey. All right, and the the, church, the cities here. These are actually cities. These are. This is literally the same area that Peter is writing to. So I just want you to see. There's a bit of an overlap that when Peter writes First and Second Peter and John writes Revelation, it's the same area. All right. Let me, let me just say it real quick. It's a tough place to live. It's a really tough place to live and be a Christian. Okay? If you follow Open Doors or Voice of the Martyrs, Mar- uh, Freddie, you know about this. Where's the most dangerous place on earth to live as a Christian? This is the one place it's, you're at most risk. Where is it? North Korea. The most, on average, the most dangerous place for a Christian to live. All right? Uh, Saudi Arabia, Eritrea. All make make the list. It's really bad. So, all right, we're going to dig into this concept of suffering. So, everybody, turn to First Peter chapter one, and I want you to I want you. We're, we're going to lay a base down and then jump into the text specifically. So, First Peter chapter one, and we're going to look at verse one. So, Peter writes. Peter writes. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who reside as strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Wow, that's a great concept. Christians are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Can we lock a couple things down here? Number one, God knows you. There's foreknowledge. God knows you. You are chosen. If you're born again, you have been chosen. Um, What is there, eight, nine billion people on the planet now? There's a lot of people on planet Earth. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've known the new birth, you are chosen. God knew about you. 
He knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from his sight. Read Psalm 139 if you need to go deeper with that. Look, because you're chosen, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, sanctifying you. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. What does the word sanctification mean? Latin sanctus. What does it mean? Set apart. What else? What else? Sanctifying. Set apart for good works. Sure. And specifically to set apart to be holy. By the way, have you noticed a little tiny thing here? Sometimes we miss it. It's Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a spirit of holiness. It represents God. Holy Spirit. Not emotional spirit. Right? Not crazy letting things go wild spirit. A Holy Spirit. And I promise you, if you're filled with the Spirit, you ready? It's so simple. If you're filled with the Spirit, you move toward holiness. Not away from it. You move toward it. Right? If you're filled with the Spirit, you speak holy things. You do holy things. This is the work of the Spirit. Which leads to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Can I just say it simply? You talk like and act like Jesus. And you're sprinkled with his blood. Boy, don't you need that? I need that every day. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Wow. Everybody turn to chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. All right, I want to do a quick word to the kids. Um, This is from Proverbs 22, verse 6. This is my translation from the Hebrew text. Parents, be dedicated in teaching your children the path in which he or she should walk. Why? Because even when they grow older, they will not remove their feet from the path. All right? You you don't take a child, a a, a six-year-old, and just scoot them out the door and say, I hope it goes well. Find your path. Be smart enough to stay on the path. Nobody would do that. The thing that's dedicated is not, it's not that you're dedicating the child. That's like saying, children, you're responsible for yourselves. No. Parents, you be dedicated to teaching your children the path that they should walk. And should that go well, they're going to be predisposed. They're going to be bent and inclined to staying on that path. Guess what? Mom and dad, if you're confused about your faith, if you're not living a clear life of being obedient to Jesus, how in the world are your kids going to figure that out? How in the world are your kids going to filter that? If you have a compromising faith, then most likely your kids will too. All right, so kids, what I want you to work on your, your, your sheets I want you to work on the idea of not quitting, not being a quitter, okay? Um, At our house, we talk about being a quitter throw fitter, all right? And I know nobody, no adults in here have ever had an adult-aged childlike behavior known as a temper tantrum because all the adults here are very mature people. You'd never have a temper tantrum. But sometimes little kids get a temper tantrum, you know? And they they start yelling and, and all these kinds of things when... When if they would 
learn that emotions are good and okay, and it's okay to feel feelings, it's not okay to disobey. Just not okay. And when we're a quitter, throw fitter, it means we tend to refuse to do the thing that we know we should do and that we have a fit about it. And one of those things that adults struggle with is suffering, all right? Suffering. Uh, uh, you kids know what a boo-boo is, you know? Uh, we were standing in the creek at uh, Lantern Springs Cabin, and our most amazing Phoebe, Phoebe Rose, is standing right there, and she just decides to fall. She was just standing right there. She was barely moving, and boom, she goes down, and boy, she got a huge scrape on her on her leg, and boy, did the tears come. Pain, suffering, uh, and it's hard. Some of you guys may have had, had something like that happen to you when you're little. You're just standing there, and boom, down you go, and now we got a big boo-boo, and the tears come. All right. All right, let's get into it. I, and by the way, these kids are taking notes, and they're going to share that with me at the end of the service, and I'm really excited about that. All right. So everybody, First Peter chapter 3. And I want you to look at, uh, we're going to start at verse 15. Do you remember that word sanctify? This is 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify, Christ is Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So that's a real good plan for Paul on how we Christians handle suffering. Right? If we're quitter throw fitters, first of all, it means we probably don't have a clear conscience, okay? <laughs> we'll talk about that for a minute. If we're pitching a fit, that's pretty much a giveaway that, that you're guilty and you're covering something up, right? But if you have a good conscience because you are sanctifying Christ as Lord, then you can keep your cool. You don't have to overreact. Proverbs 28.1, a wicked man flees when nobody chases him. Stop the overreactions, okay? Calm down. And if you don't have a clear conscience, and we all know what that feels like, don't you need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you again and get you started all over again? Yes. We don't have to live in some goopy, guilty thing. Verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. We need to make a really, really clear distinction between Suffering uh, in a context of persecution or suffering because we make really, 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 really bad decisions. <laughs> There's a total difference, right? Okay, so to make it clear, if we are choosing to engage in things that are unholy, we're choosing to talk like, think like, act like, feel like, and do the world, and that brings shame, guilt, and destroyed, damaged relationships, and all this crud in our lives, that is not persecution. <laughs> it is raining consequences on you. Right? What did, what did the old country preacher say years ago? Sin will take you farther than you want to go. 
It'll keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And that's true. When you start exploring in sin or engaging in sin, and and now it's raining some pretty heavy-duty consequences, you can't complain. You've got no right to complain to God about how hard your life is. And it's just not fair. Life's not fair. That would be pitching a fit, kids. That would be quitting for a fitter. We're blaming God for our problems when we engage in sin. No, that is not persecution. Persecution is when you choose to walk in faith, you set yourself apart, and you're living as a Christian, and you are being shamed, disparaged, slandered, uh, overlooked at work. When you're up for promotion, somebody else gets it. Now we're talking persecution. And if we lived in places like North Korea, we would read this text very differently. Very differently. All right. Now, verse 18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Freddie, that's the gospel. There it is. Christ suffered for sins once for all. He, you don't put him back on the cross. Hebrews tells us that. The just for the unjust. The sinless one for the sinful one. So that he might bring me to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, he, made, he was made alive in the spirit. That's resurrection. Okay. And for those of you that, that want to consider this, in which at that time, he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Wow. Drop down to chapter 4. Look at this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human lusts, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behaviors, less drunkenness, carousing, and, and uh, drinking parties and wanton idolatries. You know what Peter is saying? He's getting at, he's getting at a, uh, a core idea in what it means to be human. And this is the core idea. Sometimes Christians entertain the idea that they're missing out on fun. They're missing out on pleasure. They're missing out on on the gratifications of sin. And it's the non-Christians who get to have the real party, you know. We Christians, we ain't got no party because we have to be holy. And so, you know, we just just kind of push through, right? Peter cuts at that idea quickly and he says, look, you guys, if sin could be in a cup, if sin could be in a cup, we've all deliberately drank from it. Okay? It's not like you're missing out. Come on, who are you kidding? Right, who am I kidding? We've all sipped from that cup, is what Peter's saying. 
We've had plenty of chances, so don't act like you're missing out on some fun. Okay? But the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of a life outside of God. Verse 6, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. And though they are judged in the flesh as people, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober of spirit for the purpose of prayer. Look at verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Um, You know, I was talking about sin and like a cup full of this evil and we've all sipped of that cup. We've all tasted that. Um, Because we are uh, here this morning and we're in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, we don't fully appreciate what it would be like to have faith while living in Eritrea or while living in North Korea or you know, Iran or Iraq or something, or the Sudan, Northern Sudan. We really don't appreciate that culture. If we did live in that culture, and while you were driving home from work or walking home from work to be with your family, and you get home and your wife and your kids are absolutely a wreck, and they said, that Islamic militants had just been at the house and they required me to give all the money that we have to them. And I did. What would you do? Don't answer. (laughs) What would you do? What would I do? And then what if they come back that night knowing that now the man of the house is home and they demand that you renounce your faith in Jesus and you and you accept Allah as your Lord and Savior. And here's what you do, by the way, to become a Muslim. You just simply said, you just simply say that Muhammad is the prophet of God. You just confess that. Boom, you're a Muslim. Muhammad is, is the prophet of God. Now you just convert it. And if you say that, they leave. They walk away. Would you compromise? Would you do that? Above all, keep fervent your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. You know, there's a lot of nasty sins. I I won't get specific. You can think the worst, darkest things you'd like. Peter denied Jesus three times. And annoying little innocent people, annoying little innocent people have a way of exposing stuff. And this little servant girl comes up and says, hey, you're, you're one of the folks that, from Galilee, right? You talk like a Galilean. You were with them, weren't you? And he's, he swears, which means he's using promissory language. I promise I do not know this man. And then, of course, the rooster crows after the third time and... It says that Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. 
Peter was a quitter, throw fitter. When it came down to what really mattered, Peter quit. And he was broken. He did not live in the grace that God was giving him at the time in suffering. He missed it because he got scared. And out of that fear, he denied Jesus. And if you remember the restoration of Peter, Patch, what, what questions did Jesus ask Peter? He says, what if you what? If you love me. You remember that story. Peter is a man who understood the need for love. Because he knows the reality of compromise. And he drank from that cup of compromise. And it broke him. And he knows, of all the people to say this verse, it's Peter that love covers a multitude of sins. So, we all suffer the consequences. Right, to be human, you're going to suffer. We all suffer because of the consequences of our own sinful decisions and the sins of others. All right? Life hurts. Jesus understands suffering and pain. Okay? I know, I know many of you here today and those, I'll, I'll return to a full caseload this week. Uh, people are going to come in the door whose lives are broken and the pain is deep. It's real. Jesus understands suffering. All right. Number three, God promises to work all things for good to those who love him. When we love God, his purposes become ours and our lives prove that. Right. Suffering for being a follower of Jesus is a form of spiritual intimacy and mystery. That's a tough one. Um, the simplest way I know to say this is that um, if Peter had not denied Jesus and Peter experienced arrest similar to Jesus, their relationship would have taken a depth that no one would understand. There's something about sharing in that. A lot of us, we, we, we claim to have faith, and, and we do, I know that. But there's, you cross a line, you go to a level of faith that the average American church member will know nothing of. Know nothing about it all. Okay. <clears throat> Suffering reveals what is real and most important in our hearts. All right? Now, you are the church, you're the body of Christ. We as Christians, we're, we're going to suffer. Paul made it clear, 2 Timothy, that anybody who names the name of the Lord Jesus, you will suffer persecution. It's going to cost you, all right? To be a real Christian always has a price tag at some level. And when we encounter that, God calls us to suffer graciously, filled with his grace, okay? Now, this is important, okay? What you're about to say, God's Spirit is speaking to you. You need to speak truth. 
You need to speak words that are biblically sound, sound doctrine, and you need to speak in a way that's going to build up the faith of, of everyone here and those listening online. Okay? I want to pray over you and then I'm, I'm going to open it up for you. Father, thank you for each one that's here right now. Lord, we've heard your truth and ask that you speak clearly to us now in Jesus' name. This is the invitation in the church. This is how we do the invitation in Christ Church. I'm inviting everybody to literally live this out and not deflect it and, and take an oblique course or something and you miss what's being said. We live this out. So, Christ Church, speak clearly. How is God speaking to you for us? That we suffer graciously. Janice. I'm looking at this and I'm seeing a whole lot of suffering up there. And, you know, there's the word suffering in almost every single sentence. But if we really understood what kind of rewards we get in heaven through this, it, and rewards on earth, really rewards in heaven, we suffer for Christ, we are rewarded in heaven for that. Yeah. yeah. So it's not something that we're just going to take it and get over it. Yeah. Janice, this is really important. And um, can I give it? (laughs) Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. In the temptation, Matthew 4, it's also in Luke 4. One of the temptations is that Satan takes Jesus and says, look, takes him to a mountain and says, look at all this. Look at the kingdoms of the world. If you just bow down and worship me, you get it all. Right? Remember that? And what does Jesus say to Satan? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Isn't it interesting that Satan tempts Jesus with kingdoms and glory and the glory of politics and power and the glory of kingdoms. When you read the book of Revelation, the description of the holy city, Jerusalem, do you know what? (laughs) it's far better than anything Satan tempted Jesus with. So Janice, you're on to something. If we could somehow, if Chris Perry (laughs) could somehow see this thing through heaven's eyes, I would interpret my suffering very differently. But if I get my eyes off an eternal perspective and I'm, I'm like, woe is me on earth. This ain't fair. And I go down that path because I can't see it through the eyes of God. I only see it through me. What's going to happen to me in my faith? What's going to happen to me? Going to move away from the thing that hurts. It's holy, but it hurts. So move away from it. It's the will of God, but eh, the cost is too much. And my faith will be destroyed. As Paul took told Timothy that there's a man in church named Hymenaeus who made shipwreck of his faith because he wouldn't honor his conscience. All right. How do we live this out? This is the invitation. When it comes to Paul's perspective, he was able to shift what he saw as valuable to consider the approach when he talks to people in the church. He mentions that the suffering Suffering and the loss of all things, I count as view of the gospel. So he was able to make that shift, not only going on the stage, 
really in the heart of Jesus and his relationship with him. We saw a deep value, and I, I don't know that he saw it as like, I'm just going to not be of the world and content maker, but he was able to prioritize what he saw as eternal value, valuable value. He was the guy who could stand up for Hebrews. He had no problem in the first half of the section saying, look, I'm the guy. If you want to talk about the man, that's me. But none of that matters anymore. And he yeah. is the gospel. So having that kind of shift, recognizing the earthly stuff that we can have, but making sure that we don't vault it above Jesus and, and even putting it above the suffering of Jesus. Like he saw value in it. like deeper value that is so good Pat you quoted a lot of scripture behind what you just said Genesis 3 it goes on and on someone else how would we live this out now well that's number one yeah because of consequences yeah it's a mess it's a mess it's a mess. We see suffering as, I mean, we just see it as something bad. We can go, we, we can, the tendency of human beings is to look at another person or look within and go, what did I do wrong? You know, God's given me for something. Instead of understanding that He is he's throwing us and He's throwing us through suffering. In the middle of, of five years of in Philippians 1, it just, the Paul's talking to them about living in a manner worthy of Christ. And he's talking about suffering. And in 129, he says, For well, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only be meeting in him, but also suffer for his wow. Like it's a gift to be able to suffer for the sake of Christ. As in spiritual intimacy. There's, you get close. Wow, you get close. Wow. That is so good, Edie. Someone else, I think? Uh, uh, yes. I think that sometimes it's easy when we're having a hard day and, like, depression or whatever else is in our mind, and it's like nobody understands. You're just, nobody else has ever been through this. Nobody else ever feels this way. And it's so easy to listen to that and pull away from your faith and pull away from God. But when, I know for me, look, if I remind myself that, no, I'm not alone, that he experienced more pain and suffering than I could ever imagine. I don't know. It just, for me, I feel like it helps me draw closer instead of shutting down, which is my natural instinct when yes, I'm having yes, those feelings. Yes. Serena, I'm so proud of you. And you've walked. You've walked for a long time without going back to old ways. I'm so proud of you. You and James both, man, you're my heroes. So proud of you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is so good. All right, let's do this. I want you to, uh, to catch the spirit of what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. Because Patch has alluded to it, Edie's alluded to it, uh, uh, Janisha did. So therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Kid, th- kids, that's another example. No quitting. 
Don't quit the race. Keep going. Right? Looking to Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you understand that's a complete contradiction? <laughs> the joy set before him endured the cross. That makes no sense. You know, hot dog, look, there's a cross. I know exactly what happens to people who go there. That sounds like it's an insane concept, but it's actually not. It's brilliant because the joy set before him, you ready, was us. Was us. We're the joy set before him. And he made the decision to endure the cross because, because he is now set down at the right hand of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Serena, if we focus on Jesus, we will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a promise of Scripture. That's not some cheap little devotional. It's a promise that if we draw near to him, we will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, Okay. so, so let's do this. Um, if you're the one here this morning and your walk with Jesus is pure and strong. You've resolved a lot of the great issues about life. And you are literally living. You have a well-ordered Christian home. Can I just say thank you? Thank you for the decisions you've made to be faithful. And how you're living that out. And that you are a quiet example. Or a loud example of what it means to be a family that follows Jesus. Or you're a single person. And uh, it's just you. <laughs> and yet, and yet, you're not turning your back on Jesus. You're walking faithfully. Can I just say thank you? Can I, can I beg you on something? Please don't give up. Please stay the course. Please. Proverbs says that a righteous man who stumbles in front of the, wick, the wicked... It's like trying to drink water from a foul spring. Ow. Proverbs says that a righteous man who stumbles in front of the wicked, it's like drinking from foul, a foul spring. But it also says that a righteous man falls seven times and what? He gets up. <laughs> because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So listen, if you're that righteous man, that righteous woman, family, married, family, kids, or a single. Thank you. Don't stumble. Stay the course. Don't be the quitter. Live out the grace when life gets hard. But if you're like me and you find yourself stumbling and tripping and struggling and, and you're like me, Remind me that love covers multitude of transgressions, even my own. Remind each other of that. Comfort one another with these words. Literally call each other to be obedient. All right. If you're here today and you've never known Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you probably have no idea what we've been focusing on, okay? It is only in the new birth that you understand who Jesus really is and you understand what it means to be a person who walks out the kingdom. And it's called the gospel, all right? And it's in the gospel 
that we understand that Jesus Christ, based on the Old Testament, is literally the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It, the, the high and holy year uh, event in the year of a Jew is called Yom Kippur. And that's Hebrew and it means the day of atonement. It's the day that the Jew, it's a whole week long event. And the purpose of, of Yom Kippur is that, that the sins of Israel, even the ones they committed that they're not sure about, are all going to be covered by the blood of of an innocent animal sacrificed to God. When Jesus in, John, in John's gospel, when Jesus is, uh, John the Baptist confesses Jesus as the Lamb of God, this is what he has in mind, all right? When we realize that we have sinned against a holy God, we stand in judgment. But when we accept that Jesus is the Lamb, our Lamb, we experience full forgiveness because he has sacrificed himself for us. God's wrath is turned away through the death of his son. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, and I believe that he literally can live inside of me. It's all in John's gospel. Jesus in me and the hope of glory that comes out of that. I experience the new birth by faith. Kids, remember faith? Remember that? And you're trusting the chair to hold you up. Remember that? Yeah. We're able to lay the full weight and burden of our souls onto Jesus Christ and he will hold us up. And we know what it means to be born again. And then we follow him in baptism. We're not ashamed. We follow him in baptism and we walk out our faith. All right. If you need to know the forgiveness of Jesus and be born again, come talk to me at the end of the service. All right. I don't want to do that, that sneaky thing. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. You know, if you prayed that prayer, and then declare like you're grandly converted, I don't want to do that. Because you know what? I've been a part of that and seen thousands do that. And you know what? No life change. And what do the scriptures say about someone who never changes? They claim to be born again, but they're not. Do you know that's the worst thing that can happen to a person? To think you're a Christian and you're not. So no undercover secret stuff, okay? If, you, if God is calling you to accept his son as Lord and Savior, you talk to me at the end of the service. And we will pray together. And we will go bold. Okay? All right, I want to pray over you. Abba, Father, I love you. Thank you for this morning and what's happening. Please, the, the doubter in the crowd, the one who is a Christian, but they're struggling with doubts, would you help them to know full confidence that they can live this life out in grace even when they're mistreated? But the person here is faithful and they, they have proven themselves to be mature veteran followers. Thank you for them. Encourage them so they don't grow weary and lose heart. Lord, for the person that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, speak to their heart. That they realize they can't do this thing on their own. And that the only way to heaven is through your son, Jesus Christ. Please, Father, in his name I pray. Amen.